Welcome to the UMass Hockey Hour on 91.1 WMUA. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of UMass Hockey Hour right here on 91.1 WMUA. This one not making it to the airwaves this week, but we will be back on Thursday mornings at 11 at the normal time next week. But in the meantime, thank you for tuning in here on Spotify, where this will be uploaded not too long after this, hopefully. So there won't be as much of a, uh, a time delay than normal because we do have uh, – we're pre-recording all our shows live, so that kind of causes a bit of a disturbance in terms of how long or how relevant what we're talking about is. Anyways, uh, enough rambling for me. Colin Casey, Nathan Strauss, and Seamus Kelly. First time all three of us have been back together since before the pandemic, so – it's good to be back. Uh, great to have you guys back as well. And it's good to be talking about the NHL draft that wrapped up last night, the first round being two days ago on Tuesday, and then yesterday, rounds two through seven taking place. It was a busy night for all of college hockey with 65 NCAA guys drafted, but most importantly, 25 of them coming from Hockey East and four of them coming from UMass, tied with Northeastern for the most selections in terms of commits. It was an eventful night for all of these uh, players, one of them only being uh, currently on the roster. That is Matt Kessel. Guys, is this exactly what you guys expected for these guys to go? Did you expect four guys to be drafted? Did you expect maybe five or maybe even less? What What were your guys' initial thoughts on seeing how those final rounds concluded? Yeah, I for all great to be back uh wish it were in different circumstances but great to be back i was sort of expecting you know somewhere between two and five to go uh i, I think the only surprise really was kessel going in the fifth round um just because normally we see teams focusing on younger guys ushl guys in the draft um and Kessel, it, it's sort of a break from tradition because you know kessel's a little bit older but it's given the success that Coach Carville has had developing particularly defensemen uh, over the last couple of years and seeing how impressive Kessel's rookie numbers were, it makes sense that a team would, would take a flyer on him given that, you know, he's a bigger guy um, and he has room to grow. Um, but all in all, I think, you know, UMass fans can come away from this draft thinking that this team uh, is is looking good for the present, but also, uh, has a very exciting future. And though it's unlikely that we see most of these guys for another year or two, uh, they will certainly be names to start committing to memory for UMass fans. Yeah, definitely. I think for me, at least, um, the only guy that I really 100% expected to get drafted was Noah Ellis. He's, he'd been on the radar for a while um, in terms of just what I've been reading through from like scouts or uh, different uh, websites, but yeah, he was point per game. He's kind of, I think, similar to Matt Kessel in some ways. He was point per game uh, in the Holinka Gretzky Cup for Team USA. He's six two D man. Um, seems to have a little bit of uh, offensive potential. Um, but Matt Kessel going one fiftieth overall is obviously really good for him. I know Carvalid. Uh, I saw on Twitter. Um, I forgot who tweeted it someone in the UMass media, but uh, was between the Carvel and pushing teams to take a look at Kessel for a while now. Um, and actually some obscure hockey history about the 150th overall pick. Uh, former BU player Yasin Cisse was a former uh, 150th overall pick in 2010. And that guy 
Uh, I remember being a kid going to BU games uh, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, and that guy was a fan favorite. Everyone loved Yasin Cisse. He's probably one of the toughest hockey players I've ever seen. Uh, he just used to light guys up in the corner. So, um, yeah, good for Matt Castle going 150th overall. And uh, four minutemen getting drafted, though, was definitely a pleasant surprise, I'd say. I I didn't really know the names other than uh, other than Ellis, but, yeah, I – I think it's a good night for the Minutemen. It just shows consistency year to year now of uh, consistently pumping out NHL draft picks. It's definitely keep going in the right direction for this program. And I remember last fall, uh, as the season began in October, Matt Kessel was a really late addition. I believe he was uh, picked up in August, just a couple of months before the season began. And one of the things that Coach Greg Carville was uh, surprised by was how quickly he picked up this system. I remember – when we were at media, I think sometime in October or November, and he was astonished at how quickly that Kessel was developing. And it's, it's clear that whoever, or whoever was going to take him and clearly ended up being the St. Louis Blues, they saw that offensive potential. He scored seven goals, which was up there in a team lead, not just as defenseman, team lead. So he's got quite the shot. And on top of that, he plays a really physical game in the back end was really good, especially with Mark Delgaizo towards the end of the year when those two became a pairing and Delgaizo finally got to 100%. So this year, I expect another big step forward from Kessel uh, with UMass. It's got to be a great feeling to know that he's got some, uh, some certainty now in the future being drafted by the St. Louis Blues. And he joins a couple other defensemen with the team that are going to be in that back end that have been drafted already with Zach Jones and Mark Delgaiso. So I expect a defensive end, uh, or I'm sorry, a back end for, for this UMass team to be playing with a lot of confidence going into this year with guys getting drafted, getting their name called, and other guys like Colin Felix and Ty Farmer who haven't, haven't had their name called, a lot of them being past eligibility when they've broken out and been really good players for this UMass defense. They've got a lot to prove. They want to get those free agent contracts in the future. So it should be fun to watch to see how this UMass defense improves on what was already a great year last season. Anyways, now time to focus on the guys that aren't going to be coming to UMass this fall and are still a few years away, some of them even almost three years away. Uh, But the next guy taken was Lucas Mercury, who only went nine picks after Kessel, 159th overall in the sixth round of the Carolina Hurricanes. Mercury was a name that was starting to really pick up some traction as we got closer and closer to the draft. Saw some rumors flying around that a lot of people were expecting him to go. And sure enough, Carolina ends up taking a flyer on him. I, the Carolina Hurricanes social media teams already having a lot of fun with the pick. I saw their tweet about something along the lines of Mercury is, in re, is not in retrograde or whatever. I don't remember it off the top of my head, but what do you guys think of Mercury going sixth round to Carolina? Oh, Mercury, he was a UVM commit and then uh, flipped pretty late on uh, to UMass following their coaching change. Uh, and he is another guy from the prep circuit in New England. And Coach Carvel has gotten a number of players with uh, prep experience. I know Colin Felix was a St. George's player. Oliver Chow went to Northfield Mount Hermon. And it's a different, it's different than the sort of traditional uh, route that you take whether, when, you're go, when you maybe leave your high school and go play uh, either in Canada or the USHL um, because it, it gives you experience playing against older people at a very high level. Um, and his team at Salisbury 
had a, a really good run when he was a junior and an even better run last year. So it's, uh, it's a good pick, I think. I think uh, having him coming to UMass probably two years from now is, is something very, very exciting. Fantastic name for whatever it's worth. I mean, the Hurricanes, I think, were spot on in that, uh, with that tweet. But uh, he's a very, very fast skater. Um, and it should be very fun seeing him in a UMass sweater in the future. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's nice to see the Hurricanes kind of um, dip back into the talent pool uh, at, in uh, in Amherst. They, a couple of years ago, they signed Jacob Pritchard uh, after he graduated, um, coming off his huge senior season. So um, good to see them dip back into that pool. Uh, and Mercury, um, I've never gotten the chance to see him play, but uh, according to Elite Prospects scouting report, uh, he's much bigger than the average U.S. UHSH player at 6'3", 200 pounds, solid understanding of developing plays and teammate positions, and he did his best offensive work down low, swinging the puck into the slot. So um, kind of a power forward, it seems like. Um, I think he plays center. He hasn't really gotten a chance to play in the USHL. I think he only played three games last year, uh, but it should be exciting to see him play this year. Um, and then in Amherst in a couple of years, probably, I don't want to make any predictions there. I don't exactly know when he's coming, but um, maybe in kind of a Mitchell Chafee role as a power forward, can put the puck in the back of the net. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good pick by the Hurricanes. Good, de- good developmental pick. He seems like a good young player. So, yeah. All right, let's take a look at the last two names that were taken. Uh, we'll put, take, kind of group them together because, again, two guys that are going to be taken or that will be in Amherst in the future including uh, Timothy Spitzerov, who is seventh round and will be probably ways away. But anyways, before we get to Spitzerov, Noah Ellis, sixth rounder, 184th overall Vegas Golden Knights. A lot of people, Seamus, you mentioned at the top that a lot of people were expecting him to be taken. And sure enough, the Golden Knights end up drafting Noah Ellis. I believe he's first UMass uh, UMass Minuteman ever to be drafted by the Golden Knights in existence because I don't remember who else would have taken him in the very few years that they've been around. So Ellis, a lot of hype coming coming into Amherst whenever that may be. I believe it's going to be next year, but I, I can't make any promises. But what do we what do we expect out of Noah Ellis in this year that he'll play in the juniors coming into Amherst in the following year? I know it's really hard to talk about some of these guys that have been taken and aren't in Amherst yet. We don't know a whole lot about them. But what is something that you guys are going to look out for with Ellis in this one year prior to him coming to UMass? I think he's going to have a really big year. It's going to be his, his second full year uh, in the USHL, but it'll be his third year all in all. He played nine games uh, a couple of years ago. And last year he had five goals, six assists, which, you know, for a D-man, those are pretty good numbers uh, in 47 games. So, He's, you know, he's 18 years old. He's going to be, you know, one of the more senior players in the league. Uh, and I think this is the, 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 the kind of experience that could be really, really vital. Uh, you look at the success that, you know, Zach Jones had in his last year before joining UMass. You, you hope that a guy like Noah Ellis could be uh, poised to sort of take that mantle as the, the you know, the incoming freshman with uh, a lot of experience. And whether we see him next year or the year after, uh, we don't necessarily know yet, but he's definitely a, a high level talent. And I will say, I, 
uh, Jake McLaughlin signed with their AHL affiliate, right? Over the, over the summer. So clearly a little bit of a connection being yeah. forged, a little bit of a connection being forged there uh, between the UMass decor and, uh, and the Golden Knights. Yeah, definitely. And, McLaughlin was the, uh, he was the first signing ever, I think, by the Vegas AHL affiliate. They got a new team, uh, the Henderson Silver Knights. So, yeah, that's something to add there, too. And then real quick on Spitsarov, uh, the interesting dynamic with him being taken seventh round and 210th overall with his age, the Sharks only are going to have control up until his sophomore year, after his sophomore year, at UMass in terms of what we're projecting him to, to play as. And again, a lot of things can change. You could always end up committing to play somewhere else in that time. We don't know what's going to happen, but Nathan, I'll, I'll ask you, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting scenario because you'd think maybe some teams would want to wait until another year until he can maybe, uh, you can maybe get another year of control in terms of pushing it down the line. But at the same time, Spitzerov's a really talented player. So do you think the Sharks made the right move of taking him in the seventh round, especially with a lot of guys saying that he probably should have gone a little bit further up in, up in the draft, that is. Yeah, I was actually wrong. It turns out he is an 0-2. I thought he was a year younger. Um, but he was a late riser on a lot of draft boards. I know a couple of guys at, uh, like, the Hockey News and whatnot were having him as one of their sleepers for this draft. So it makes sense that there would be some concerns, especially because he is, you know, a couple years away from making a um, – you know, an impact at the college level. And when you consider the fact that uh, I think there's a bit of a stereotype that that kids from abroad might be more likely to return to the KHL or another overseas league if they don't end up making it to the point where the Sharks would be willing to offer him, you know, a two-way or a, an entry-level contract uh, when that, that time comes. Um, you know, ideally, he's the kind of player who, really blossoms and the sharks you know as we've mentioned with the hurricanes the sharks are the team that i think has had the most amount of recent success with with umass players obviously mario ferraro and john leonard who will be uh should be exciting to watch this coming season for them uh so it makes sense that they would sort of trust his development uh he you know doesn't have any experience in the juniors yet again he's another prep guy he plays for culver if they, you get to have that experience when you play for Culver of going up against some of the top prep teams in the country, including Shattuck St. Mary's, who consistently produce, you know, draft pick after draft pick. So it's a necessary, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a solid gamble by the Sharks, but uh, hopefully the connection between UMass and the West Coast continues to grow. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, and one, one more thing I want to mention as well before we move on about this draft is there are a couple of notable undrafted guys that some 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 people on uh, Twitter expected to maybe get a look for UMass, one of them being Colin Purcell, the big goaltender that is expected to come in after this year to Amherst. Uh, he, he, was, he did not have his name called. He played for Youngstown last year in the USHL. And the other being Cole O'Hare, who played for the North York Rangers in the, uh, in the Ontario League, had a really good year as well, averaging uh, well over a point a game, 64 points and 51 games so those are a couple of guys that I think who are still eligible if I'm not mistaken uh next year that have a good chance of getting their name called along with guys like uh Owen Murray and Kenny Connors so we could see another year uh in 2021 where 
the Minutemen could have another four guys go off the board. So very bright future for the UMass Minutemen. And, of course, got to look at the present now with them being a top-10 team in the country for most of last year, bringing a lot of those guys back. But, of course, losing some scoring but keeping that defense. And, obviously, some of that scoring reinforcements are going to be on the way in the future. Other teams that had successful draft nights in Hockey East, I think the next place we want to look at is going to be Northeastern. Four guys taken as well. That's tied for UMass for the most, most players in Hockey East selected. Big, big one being Sam Colangelo taken second round, and then three guys going in the seventh round, including Gunnar Wolfall and Fontaine and goaltending prospect Devin Levi, who is expected to make his debut this year and has a lot of expectations replacing Craig Pantano and Caden Primo, who was obviously uh, two years ago was replaced, but a lot of expectations for Levi to step up and be the guy in net early on. What do you think of Northeastern's draft? And uh, we knew Colangelo was going to go around where he was. Do you think it was too high, too low? Personally, I think that was exactly the right spot for him. What do you think? Um, well, I like the pick. I, I, uh, I said a couple of weeks ago that Northeastern uh, was my team to watch out for this year, that kind of um, kind of a back, bounce-back candidate that could sneak into the top three in Hockey East. Um, and, yeah, I think Colangelo, um, I think he's a talented player that will step right in and make an impact there. There's definitely room for him to make an immediate impact, especially um, with the loss of Tyler Madden and a couple other guys um, to kind of justify that draft spot. Um, but, yeah, I – Definitely just good to see all around Hockey East. Uh, a lot of guys draft. I think most of any conference in the country. So, um, but yeah, I definitely like the Colangelo draft spot. And I think Northeastern in general, I think we'll have a good year this year. I think they have a lot of good young talent. So, yeah, I mean, obviously they lost, they lost, you know, a, a imposing uh, senior class last year. They also picked up Marco Bazzo from UMass, although I don't think he'll be eligible this year. Or maybe he will be eligible, actually, because he sat after the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, but some of the guys who were sort of expected to produce a lot last year didn't end up getting putting up the numbers who thought they might. Um, again, this team was so injury hit for most of last year. Uh, and that, that it made them hard to judge. But look for guys like Riley Hughes, who was another late-round pick a year ago, um, to put up some numbers this coming year. And obviously... Uh, Jaden Struble, who will hopefully have fully recovered from his injury at this point, uh, could be one of the best, the best G-men in, in, uh, in Hockey East, I think, if he gets a full season uh, under his belt. And I think he's the kind of guy who could end up being a flight risk for Northeastern if he can uh, sort of stay injury, injury-free and produce the way I think he will be able to. So. And on top of those two teams, we also had four other teams in Hockey East with three selections, Boston University, UConn, BC, and Providence. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to pick on UConn at all, but one of those teams doesn't seem like the others in terms of teams you normally see getting that many guys drafted. But credit to the Huskies, they've bought into this, this strategy of getting a lot of these guys from both overseas, but also some local guys as well. And we saw some of those local guys go in this uh, draft for UConn. I think the, I think the best, one of the best drafts for anyone, any school rather, I should say, is for Boston University. And, and we're accustomed to seeing stuff like that. Luke Tuck getting taken uh, 47th overall. Drew Camesso also getting drafted uh, 46th. So the pick before those two guys going 
relatively early, mid-second round. And then the other one being in the third round, Peterson. So a really strong night for BU. Is this going to be the year where they finally start to put things together? Or are we going to see what we saw last year where they got off to a slow start, started to figure it out towards the end, but it seemed like the chemistry never really developed until it was too late. Um, I, I want to apologize to any BU fans listening, but I, I really don't see this team um, with the way they've been building their, building their rosters the last half decade at this point. I, it's tough to be an instant contender when you're building around just only freshmen. You see BC bringing a super talented freshman class last year, but uh, they also had some upperclassmen guys that were just obviously talented players and good leaders like uh, David Codden and, and uh, Matilla. And whereas BU just, I mean, they have guys, they have some returning guys, but overall they, I think they've relied far too heavy on freshmen um, in recent years. And it's, it's, it's tough to have full confidence in them to just get out to a hot start. They will have talent. They will have high level uh, talent, but it's just tough for me to see year in, year out, how they can maintain consistency and maintain a winning culture when it just seems like there's a never ending cycle of players going through there. Um, and that's nothing against the players. I think they pick up some insanely talented players year in, year out. But personally for me, I think I would take the teams that kind of are bringing back some guys from the last couple of years and, um, have a lot of proven talent year in, year out, rather than relying heavily on uh, true freshmen to come in and make an instant impact. And against teams like BC or UMass or even UConn now, um, I, I just don't know how that strategy is going to work. I think a lot of this just comes from the top down, and I just don't really have that much trust in Albie as a head coach. I know he had a hard job. He had some big shoes to fill. He has not lived up to it remotely. And if you can't get a Trevor Zegers-led team to a top three finish, in the Hockey East, there's no reason that this team is going to do any better. I think goaltending is going to be a massive issue for them. It was a bit of an issue for them last year, too. They had some really, really streaky guys. But, you know, Ashton Abel is their oldest goalie on the roster, and he's a sophomore who didn't get that much playing time last year. I would imagine they're going to look to Comesso pretty much from the start. And they, were, they basically are going to need him to be Spencer Knight-esque for them to have success. Obviously, they have David Ference coming back, uh, which I think is huge. He's, you know, obviously he was a first-team All-Hockey East last year. He's one of the best-scoring defensemen in the nation. Um, but they have only eight players on this roster who are older than – who are, you know, a junior, senior, or grad student. And I think that's really, really concerning. In order to succeed at the NCAA level, you need to have a mix of, you know, first- and second-round draft picks – but also players who are good enough to make it in the NHL or overseas who are willing to stick it out across all four years. That's what we've seen pretty consistently from teams like Denver and Minnesota Duluth and North Dakota and BU are too reliant on those one and dones, like you said. Uh, and that's why I think last year's BC team would have been an absolute problem uh, in the tournament because they did have that mix of, you know, an elite freshman class with, you know, two of the three best freshman scorers in the country. Um, plus, uh, a lot of high-end senior talent. I don't think this BU team is going to compare, uh, even with the uh, the new additions. I'm really excited to see uh, Tuck this year. So, I will say this. I think one thing that certainly is going to benefit BU is the new changes to the overtime rules with three-on-three. Three. This is a team that 
the, the, the Terriers that went, that lost, or I'm sorry, that didn't lose that tied five times during the regular season last year in just hockey East play alone. Now with this, with, with this new rule in place of three on three for five minutes, there's gonna be a lot of open ice. I think this is going to benefit the Terriers with these forwards that they can send out there and, some of these units they could put out there, they put Ference as a lone defenseman and put guys like Tuck and Master Simone and all these fast forwards that might have that advantage over some of these other hockey East teams that don't quite have that speed out there. So that's one thing I think the Terriers will have going forward along with the obvious talent that they're bringing. Question is going to be, are they going to be able to mesh well? It, it, didn't, it didn't mesh well last year with Zegras, and I'm not blaming Zegras at all. He did all he could individually. He was a talented player, and he's going to be a talented player for the Anaheim Ducks. But will it mesh? They have a goaltender as well now. They didn't have one last year, really. So is the chemistry going to be there? And if it's not, then you mentioned, uh, Nathan, it's, it could be a tough result for Albie O'Connell in terms of maybe looking in another direction next year. Another team, uh, Nathan. That looked like you want to say something. Uh, add something. Well, I was there. I was going to bring us to BC. I'm not sure if that's where you want to. Yeah. Go yep. Next. Um, and I, I I'm going to sort of eat my words a little bit because looking at the composition of this roster, BC is even more exacerbated than uh, BU. They have 11 incoming freshmen and nine sophomores on the roster. Uh, but the difference between this BC team and the BU team is just the quality of the player. Like I'm not, I hope this isn't unfair to anyone, to any BU fans listening, but you look at the guys who BC were able to retain Spencer Knight. There was some talk about him maybe being a one and done kind of player, even as a goaltender, especially given the uncertainty with uh, the Florida Panthers uh, situation. You look at the fact that they were able, they're able to get Alex Newick, Matt Boldy back for another year when both of them had incredible seasons last year. And then you look at the guys who they added. I mean, admittedly, the guys who they have who are, you know, juniors and seniors, they only have two seniors, one of whom is Logan Hutzko, and then four juniors. Um, but this team now has a lot of experience. They played at an incredibly high level for the entirety of last year. I think they would have ended up going on to win the tournament, um, putting my little UMass bias aside. And I think, you know, they just set the NCAA record. It's the 25th straight year that they've had a player drafted. And this team is going nowhere. And of course, as I was talking about sort of top-down leadership, what better place to start than Jerry York at the top? Yeah, I can't argue with that. Uh, this uh, BC team is just, the, talked about it before, but the, the top-end talent is unmatched right now in pretty much all of college hockey, I'd say. Um, and for that reason alone, I don't, I don't see, um, how they can't be the favorite in hockey's. They're just between new hook, Boldy Knight. It's those three guys are all, and they all looked insanely good as freshmen. Boldy took them a little bit, a little bit to come on, but, uh, at least when I watched him in Amherst, he was, um, he, the talent definitely showed. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I think BC, um, what they're doing, I think is a little bit different than what BU's doing it. With Jerry York there, um, I think they're able to kind of carry over that culture year after year, even if the players do cycle out uh, rather quickly compared to some other schools. But um, like we said before, that they, they had returning senior talent last year, and all these guys coming back is just – it's kind of insane to think about is how just how talented that roster is. 
and personally, in my opinion, I think this could be the best year or the best opportunity for Jerry York to win a national championship in the years that he has left whenever he decides to hang him up. I'm, I mean, personally, it's, he, it's really a joy to watch his teams play. So as far as he can coach, I'm, I'm supporting him to coach as, until he can't coach anymore. But um, you never know when his year, when, what year might be his last because it's just been so unpredictable with whether or not he's going to end up calling it quits. So this year, you got flight risks, flight risks excuse me, everywhere with Newhook, Boldy, and Knight. But then you have a graduating senior in Hutsko and talent everywhere, especially these guys who got drafted really high. I don't expect, you know, Powell or Kunter or any of those guys to leave after one year unless they have a ridiculous year, of course. But the unpredictability of the future can be a little bit scary for the Eagles. They have so much talent this year. I like their chances of winning hockey East, both the tournament as well as the regular season. I also like their chances of making it to the, to the frozen four this year. If of course it ends up taking place, but this could be a huge year for the Eagles. It should be a huge year. And I think anything short of a top two seed in the national tournament is a disappointment for the Eagles this year. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of sad. I feel like we were really robbed of what would have been a really competitive hockey East tournament last year. Uh, and it's pretty unfortunate looking at the talent that left Hockey East in the offseason that you aren't going to get to see another, you know, particularly another UMass-BC matchup, especially at the Garden. Even right now, the idea of just having fans in attendance, which, you know, sort of breaking from our script a little bit, uh, Ryan Bamford just sent out an email confirming what we all knew, which is that UMass is not planning on having fans aside from family members and essential personnel at any winter sports games thinking about what the atmosphere was like at Conte Forum last year for that BC UMass game where UMass fans and UMass hockey really just took over it makes me very very nostalgic for what could have been um, but I'm just looking forward to getting hockey in whatever form it comes I'm looking forward to covering it with WMUA and also watching it as a spectator when the time comes so cannot wait to get to see uh to see UMass back out on the ice and with that, I think that's a good way to transition into this next topic, which is when will UMass get back on the ice? And I think we're starting to get a few hints here, starting with the Big Ten announcing a schedule. Not only is it uh, all seven Big Ten teams, but they're also including Arizona State, the lone independent team out there currently in college hockey, as a facto eighth member. And Arizona State will play all their games on the road against, uh, I believe they're going to face every single Big Ten opponent four times. So everyone's going to play each other four times, 28 games, conference only, with the exception of, uh, of Arizona State. So that looks like a lot of fun, and the hope is that Hockey East is on their way to something similar, and it looks like they are with November 20th being the target date for Hockey East. The 13th is actually the target date right now for uh, the Big Ten. So they're planning on starting – a week before hockey East really doesn't matter. It's just semantics at this point, but the reports going on right now, Mike McMahon was saying that his hunch is that soon we'll get a schedule similar to big 10 applied to hockey East. And for hockey East, it's a little bit easier to kind of uh, to control than big 10, because you're just going throughout six States. It may be six States or so in, in the big 10, but it's a lot larger States out there in the Midwest than it is here in new England. So 
what are your guys' reaction to a all-conference schedule, essentially, for Hockey East and almost 30 games of just conference games? Personally, I think it's one of the best things that could really take place in all of college hockey with all these bitter rivalries throughout the conference. Yeah, definitely. I think um... – I mean, the out-of-conference games were always fun, but I, uh, at the end of the day, the Hockey East games just uh, – they meant the most and they mean more. And um, I think it, it's definitely going to be – I mean, every weekend should be um, entertaining hockey and from top to bottom. Um, we've talked about it in the past how just how deep Hockey East is uh, in terms of talent on every team pretty much. Um, and, yeah, I, the, the positive news that keeps coming out is just uh, – I'd love to see the positive news. And um, yeah, November 20th, if everything works out, hopefully everything works out by then, uh, I think should be good to go. And I think it'll be a good season. Yeah. I mean, logistically hockey East should be the easiest of all of the hockey leagues to develop a return to play plan. I mean, one potential wrinkle is that UConn athletics announced yesterday that they are not going to be, leasing the XL Center in Hartford for this upcoming season. Um, just given the fact that they're playing without fans, the XL Center is wicked expensive when right. you're not packing it uh, each and every night. But in theory, when the longest bus ride that you have is from Alfond Arena to stores, that is nothing compared to, you know, every single other conference. I feel really bad for, um, you know, a school like Air Force, who is so separated from the rest of their conference, or either of the Alaska schools, both of which are, you know, on the verge of, I don't want to say extinction, but having their program shut down um, due to budgetary constraints. So clearly Hockey East is in a good position. Um, if they end up splitting it up the same way some other, uh, other leagues are going about it, there are plenty of ways to do so effectively. Um, and this, the top to bottom talent in the league makes it so that it's not like there's going to be any team with the exception of UVM that gets particularly beat up on, which I think is an issue in every other non big 10 league. So I'm hopeful that, you know, UMass and the rest of hockey East return to play in and around that November 20th, uh, mark. And I think the way they would likely go about it is doing those sort of weekend, uh, home and homes perhaps and i'm just looking forward to seeing it yeah and to answer the concerns about uh the xl center U uconn does have a rink on site that seats 2000 obviously they're not gonna have to seat anyone if there's not going to be any fans uh and that is the mark edwards freitas ice forum so it looks like that's where they would end up playing their games they haven't played any home game since 2015, I believe, the last time that UConn's played at home for uh, – well, obviously not that last time they played at home. The last time they played in stores, I believe, was in 2015. So it's been a while, but they do have that option and that luxury. And, you may, and it makes a lot of sense, Nathan. If they're going to be paying a lot of money to play at XL Center and not have any fans there, then what's the point? So it makes a lot of sense for them to not go in that direction. Um, I think the biggest thing for – uh, this hockey East news is it, it's, it seemed unlike, I, I don't want to say it seemed unlikely for there to be hockey at all, but a couple of months ago, it seemed unlikely that there would be any sort of college hockey, at least in the fall. I think a lot of people were figured, all right, we're gonna have to try again in January and wait until after Christmas for the second wave and all of this stuff to take place with COVID. 
But you got to give a lot of credit to college hockey and especially the conference and Steve Metcalf, who is in his first year as the hockey's commissioner. He walked into quite the you-know-what storm by taking this job and then immediately having this pandemic. So big on him to work hard and to work with all these teams to put together what looks like a, a great idea in this conference-only schedule. It, it's, it's not an easy task for anyone, and whether it's a guy who's got – one year of experience as, as a commissioner or 20. So I want to give a huge shout out to Metcalf and, and his crew for working well with these schools and safely putting together a plan that can get people back on the ice. Absolutely. And I think we're about to get our first taste of UMass athletics this year um, with UMass football announcing their first game nine, nine days from now. Uh, and it looks like all of the return to play measures that have been put in place by leagues and by the school itself are, you know, about to pay off. And it looks like they've been working pretty well. So congrats to everyone it, involved. Yeah. And, and I know you're alluding to that email that just came out uh, right as we started this, started this recording. And that's uh, Ryan Bamford sent an email out to the student body here about uh, what updates he has. Big one being Georgia Southern taking place that game a week from Saturday. But there is a little snippet about uh, winter sports, hockey, basketball, and of the sorts. But for hockey right now, I want to read this part. It says, a shortened non-conference schedule will await the basketball teams, with ice hockey likely planning to play only Hockey East games in 2021. So, guys, I think that really just tells a story that it's not really going to be a shortened season. They're hoping to get almost the same amount of games, maybe not 34 games, but close to 30 games played in the regular season before we get to any sort of uh, playoffs or conference tournaments. So that's probably another huge positive to look at for uh, these players is they're not really being deprived of many games. If, if there are, it's probably only going to be about three or four. And I mean, there are some good options for, for non-conference games. I mean, being in yeah. Amherst, you look at the fact that we're only, what, an hour and a half away from Sacred Heart. We're not too far away from Bentley, if we really wanted to, or Holy Cross. A half an hour from AIC. A half an hour from AIC, who, I mean, we've played in the last couple of years, too. So if they do end up getting those games in, it'll be a, an added positive, but... I mean, I wouldn't expect to see. I mean, UMass didn't have any preseason games last year either, right? They were all, they jumped right into it with the series against Union or RP, one of the RPI. RPI. Yeah. So, I mean, this UMass team, they don't always need to have, you know, some U Sports team to beat up on in the first couple of weeks of the season to get ready for the season. I think, assuming that it's just Hockey East play this year, um, they should be raring to go. Um, I know a lot of the guys have been really, really looking forward to getting back out on the ice uh, and playing competitively. So I'm perfectly fine with an all-hockey schedule this year. Seamus, any uh, thoughts to add on this potential all-hockey schedule and the opportunity for UMass to potentially play what would have been a full schedule except all these games coming against their own conference? Um, I mean, I don't have much to add, although I do like the idea of the out-of-conference game against AIC. I don't, I don't really know how um, their conference or their athletic department's um, doing right now or how they're handling it. Uh, 
But if if it was an option, I would like another series against AIC. I thought that was, um, I don't know, battle for Western Mass, I guess. Uh, it's pretty, that would be a fun uh, out-of-conference matchup. So, I, And I think it's a good option just travel-wise. Uh, definitely the closest program. So, um, But, yeah, I, I think the Hockey East only schedule should be fun. Kind of like a, I don't know, it's similar like the NBA bubble maybe where they're during the regular season, where it's just a bunch of teams playing against each other um, and maybe get some extra matchups against some rivals. But overall, I th yeah, I think Hockey East uh, only schedule. I, I think everything – that shouldn't really affect the season too much, and I think those games mean the most. So uh, I'm glad that they're able to happen. All right, and that should pretty much about wrap this up. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I hope next week we have an update as to an official concrete schedule for the 2020-2021 UMass Minutemen hockey season. In the meantime, we'll uh, get excited, I guess, for football in the fact that there are going to be some UMass football games taking place, whether it be three, whether it be six, who knows. But it's great to see UMass athletics getting back in the fold. And we're also looking forward to getting the opportunity to broadcast this upcoming hockey season, which hopefully, again, will start a month from now. We we We're all within driving distance for all these venues, so it's great to – have an opportunity to broadcast basically any games that we can and we certainly will I know a lot of us here at WMUA are excited you guys included to get back behind the mic and or get yeah get back behind the mic and up in the booth up at Mullen Center and I know a lot of you fans are looking forward to getting back to Mullen Center might be a little bit tougher task right now but we're hoping to bring you some great coverage throughout the academic year as best as we can so that being said, thank you again for tuning in this week. For Seamus Kelly and Nathan Strauss, I'm Colin Casey. So long, everyone. And again, looking forward to UMass Athletics returning soon.